Hey, welcome aboard. My name is Corey Williams. I am going to be doing a mini series through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This is a moment in the life of uh, our nation, uh, the culture, our church. It's a moment where for me as a pastor, it feels like a prime opportunity for Christianity to, to emerge with uh, a beauty and an attractiveness uh, that I think will be really helpful in the days ahead. And so I want to spend some time with you thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and what that looks like in real time and, um, you know, thinking through what would it look like if Christians were making this the priority right now. Um, well, this is going to be an introduction and an overview and week by week we'll take an element of the fruit of the Spirit and we'll kind of expand on it and we'll think through what does it look like to, to love uh, in the way that Christ loved. Uh, what does it look like to be gentle in the way that he was gentle and on and on and on and we'll go through the fruit of the Spirit. But in order to kind of set the stage for the entire discussion that we'll have through this series, we need to kind of zoom back uh, and, and look at the context and the overview of this passage. So I'm going to go ahead and read the entire surrounding section of Scripture. So this is from Galatians chapter 5. And it's actually verses 13 to 23. And if you have a Bible at home, that'd be wonderful for you to follow along with me. Um, we'll also put the verses up at the bottom of the screen here. And um, you can track along that way. So Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read the passage. I'll pray and then we'll get to work. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, reads like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would please use this little mini-series in the fruit of the Spirit to be a blessing to us. We pray especially for our church family and ask that each of us would walk by the Spirit, that we would display the fruit of the Spirit, 
and that would help people come to know and cherish Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I ask that you would right now, in the variety of places that we're watching this from, would you minister to each of us by your Spirit, through your Word, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I want to show you four things here, four kind of introductory concepts that will frame out our entire discussion through the fruit of the Spirit. And so this one will be longer than the others and uh, a little bit more involved, but the themes that we introduce here will be recurring themes, and so you'll bump into them week by week as we go through the specific fruit of the Spirit. So four different things. Let's start off with point number one. We are a people in conflict. This section of scripture reminds us that we have two different natures within us. Paul is writing here to a church in Galatia. So he's writing to believers and he's writing to help them sort through some of the issues that they're dealing with, some of the false ideas that have been presented by false teachers, and some of the ways that they're being influenced within this community of faith. And here he's coming up to say, remember that you have two natures within you that are in conflict. On the one hand, you've got this sin nature, which he calls the flesh. You've got this way of the flesh within you that desires things contrary to God. And then on the other hand, as a believer, you've got this spirit within you. You've got this new nature within you. It's the way of God. It's the way of His godliness and His righteousness. It's the way of Christ-likeness. So you've got these two things going on inside of you, and they are in conflict with each other. So point number one is we are a people in conflict. We're a people who have two different warring natures within us. Look at verse 17. It says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You've got this tension going on inside of you, and because of that, because of these dueling natures, you can't just do whatever you want, but instead you need to be ruled by the spirit. So don't gratify the sin nature, don't gratify the flesh, Seek to walk in obedience to the Spirit of God within you. So you are a person in conflict. That's an important thing to just acknowledge in this moment. That right now, as we're going through this uh, very crazy season, a pandemic, a, just a political crazy season in general, and we're, you know, we as the church are trying to figure out what we need to be and do in light of these realities, Pay attention to the fact that you have this warring reality going on inside of you. You've got this way of God and you've got this way of the sin nature and those things are in conflict with each other and so you have a job to do. It's to walk by the Spirit. Or let's listen to Paul as he writes to another church and he kind of makes it uh, pretty plain, uh, plain in Romans chapter 8. He tells us in Romans 8 verses 12 and 13, Brothers and sisters, same concepts, different audience, but he says, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. You've got a job as a Christian. He says it like this, it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Christian, 
you have an obligation and it is not to walk according to the flesh, but it is to put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit. We have a job to do right now, and it is to recognize that we are a people in conflict and we have a sin nature that wants to do what is contrary to the things of God. So we have an obligation then to put that to death and to walk by the Spirit. So that's what we need to do. So we, we are a people who are in conflict as individuals. But unfortunately, that inner conflict ends up spilling out into a relational conflict with other people. So Paul is writing to a church and what he's beginning to identify from a distance is that this church is in conflict. So because individuals are in conflict, the community of faith begins to experience conflict as well. People have different ideas of what it looks like to be faithful to God in that moment that he's writing to them. And so the church then is beginning to fight and so he's warning them, you have this conflict within you and it is spilling over into conflict within the community. So you need to make some necessary adjustments. That brings us to point number two. The second thing we see here is that this call is a relational call. This is a relational plea. Paul is writing, God is speaking, God is calling us in this moment to recognize the importance of our godliness, our Christ-likeness, showing up in the context of our relationships. Let's look at the evidence here in this section of Scripture. It tells us in verse 13 that we need to serve one another humbly in love. We are being called here to look at other people who we might differ from in our opinions and in our perspectives, but we have a call in Christ-likeness to serve them humbly in love. It goes on to say in verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. The entire way of God, if you will, is summarized and fulfilled in this one commandment. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. God is calling us to display our Christ-likeness, our godliness, in the way that we relate to other people. And it goes on to warn us that if we don't pay attention to this relational calling, it can be catastrophic. It says in verse 15, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So if you don't embrace the calling that God has for our Christianity to be on display in relationship, we can actually do the opposite and do great harm. We can destroy each other by biting and devouring one another. If you look at the acts of the flesh, the list of the acts of the flesh here in Galatians chapter 5, you'll notice that a majority of the terms are relational terms. Uh, eight of them, in fact, of the list there in verses 20 and 21 have relational connotations. Look at them, verse 20 and 21. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's saying that the way that the flesh manifests itself is in the context of relationships, and you will notice it in the way that you deal with other people. When you look at the positive list, the list of the fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice that all of them can be expressed and experienced within the context of a relationship. Verses 22 and 23, there, there are things here like love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So all of, these, all of these items here in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, they have a, a relational slant to them. And so again, the point here that we're noticing is that this call to Christ-likeness is a call to relational beauty. Um, we need to recognize that God is inviting us in this moment to let our Christianity be on display in the context of how we deal with other people, and especially those with whom we differ with opinions and things like that. So finally, verse 26 tells us, it warns us, again, it's finishing up this section of Scripture, but it says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So again, over and over and over again, in this section of Scripture, we're being told, true Christianity is relationally beautiful. So here's my question for us today. How would people presently describe their interactions with you and I? If somebody who you work with or somebody who you interact with online or somebody who you know, has a regular uh, interaction with you, if you were to present to them the two lists, on the one hand, the list of the flesh and all these ugly things versus the list of the spirit, um, which do you think the, the, that individual would kind of gravitate to in, in their description of you? Would they say, oh yeah, they're, they're kind of mean. They're kind of ugly in the way that they hold their opinions and express them toward me. Or would they say, no, there's some, some, something beautiful. And we, we might not even be on the same page. We might have very different opinions of things that are presently going on, but there's this relational beauty about them. They are Christ-like in the way that they interact with me. Um, again, this is such an important concept for us to embrace that God is calling us in this moment to display the fruit of the Spirit in a way that is beautiful. Francis Schaeffer, I remember uh, a, a very potent um, quote from him, and, and he basically said, um, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. What he was pointing out was the fact that you can have convictions that you believe are orthodox and true and good and biblical, and you can hold those with, with just a passion and a commitment to them. But he says, if you have those convictions, that biblical orthodoxy, but you don't have compassion for people who may differ from you, that's actually inconsistent. It's, it's actually ugly. In fact, it's the ugliest thing in the world when somebody claims to hold truth, a, a beautiful commodity in and of itself, but then to relate to other people on account of those convictions in a way that's harmful. That's just wrong. So we need to be a people who hold to biblical convictions, but do it in a way that is relationally beautiful. In fact, Fran Schaefer says that when churches and communities of faith do this, it is an apologetic of the gospel. It's evidence of the gospel itself. So this is a relational call. Number three, the, the stakes here are incredibly high. We're not dealing with something that's kind of optional, something that we can take or leave if we like. The stakes here are incredibly high. If we get this wrong, if we don't display our Christ-likeness in these relationships, 
a lot is at stake. Let me point out a few different things. Our mission, if we get this wrong, our mission is hindered, our witness is marred, and our spiritual lives are in jeopardy. Let's take those one at a time. Let's suppose that God has given us a commission. He has. It's called the Great Commission. He has co-opted us into the mission of God. He's called us to make disciples of all nations. So we have this job as the people of God, but what if we are in conflict with each other, with ourselves and with one another? What if we're in conflict? Well, the truth is we will have a hard time advancing the mission if we are too busy fighting with each other. In fact, I was reminded this week of a, a, a study that was done of missionaries who left the mission field. And they were identifying the key reason why a missionary would leave the mission field. Now, you got to think through this a little bit and go, well, what would you suppose that answer would be? I mean, I would guess uh, it'd probably be something like stress, you know, that it would be uh, you've uprooted your family and you've made all of these financial sacrifices and you've went to a new location and you've kind of set aside your comforts and your familiarities and all those different things and you've went to serve in a new location but you felt called by God to be there and do that. So why on earth would you ever leave? And I would say maybe it's just kind of the cumulative stress of it all. But the number one leading cause of missionaries leaving the mission field is relational strife. It's conflict. The reason why missionaries will leave their post is because they are in conflict with other Christian leaders there. That's what's at stake. The mission is hindered when we allow ourselves to gratify the sins of the flesh. And when those sins of the flesh manifest themselves in our relationships, the mission that we are invited into is hindered. Jesus put it like this. He, he talks about a divided entity being an ineffective entity. He's talking about the fact that you can't have division and be effective. He puts it like this in Mark 3. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He's saying that you cannot be divided within yourself and be effective at what you're supposed to be and do. The church cannot be fighting and warring with itself and, you know, you know, individuals kind of warring on the interior of their spiritual lives and then fighting with each other because we have differing opinions about political ideas or things that are happening in our world right now. We can't be fighting with each other and think that we're going to be effective at advancing the mission of God. Indulging in the flesh will create devastating problems. So, our mission will be hindered, but also our witness is marred. We are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ testifying to His beauty and what He has come to be and do for us. But if we are fighting within ourselves, that witness is, is marred. It, it does not come across as beautiful and compelling. So, Jesus, when He was teaching His disciples, when He was speaking to His people who were going to ultimately become the church of Jesus Christ, he told them in John 13, 35, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. People will be compelled by the way that you interact within the community of faith. 
People will be magnetized to that when you're getting this right, when you're walking by the Spirit, when you're walking in accord with what Christ really wants us to do, it will have this magnetism. It'll be beautiful. People will know that you're a follower of Christ by this unity and this love and this um, compassion that you share within the community of faith. But, but the, the opposite is also true. When there is conflict and division and infighting, it doesn't compel people, it repels them. It's a repulsive thing when somebody looks at the church and they see all of this hostility and conflict and fighting. Uh, again, Fran Schaefer, he, he wrote an entire book on this and, and um, you know, he's, he's telling us that the way in which we relate to each other ought to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit so that it is this magnetizing reality that people come into an experience with the people of God and how we deal with each other and others and they see and find something beautiful there. If we don't do this, our witness is marred. But even further than that, and this is the part that's very troubling, our spiritual lives are in jeopardy. Look at verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There's a, there's a threat here of destruction. And it will come by the hands of conflict if you cannot learn to walk in step with the Spirit. And you indulge the flesh, you will bite, devour, and destroy. And so in a moment like this where convictions are high and emotions are high and passions are high, and we want to be, we feel ourselves to be right and we want to prove that we're in the right and we want to, we want to show people the, the right way to walk, the question that we need to ask is, are we willing to be right, but at what cost? We, we, want, we so badly want to be right, but at what cost? If we're willing to destroy a brother or sister in Christ because we feel that we're in the right, and they seem to be in the wrong, that, that can't be right. That cannot be right. So we're crusading for the truth. Many of us right now, uh, we're crusading for the truth. And the thing that we need to acknowledge here that the section of scripture tells us is that many of these things are kind of falling in the realm of Christian liberty. Um, it tells us right up at the top that we have this freedom, that we're called to be free, but we shouldn't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. So what we're doing is we're taking a Christian liberty, a, a, an opinion, a perspective, and we're taking this thing that we have liberty on and we're making it a, a necessity. And we're saying that everyone who's a believer has to feel the same way that I feel about this thing. And then we're going to war with those ideas. And what's happening? Great harm. So the stakes are incredibly high here. We want to be a people who are walking in step with the Spirit. Finally, number four, the fourth thing that we see here in this overview is that this will be a gospel endeavor. This whole project of applying the, the, the truth of um, the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to be a gospel endeavor. It's not simply a one-off decision of, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this now. But it's going to be this ongoing application of the gospel. On the one hand, it's going to uh, involve cultivating the soil. I can't make fruit grow. I can't produce fruit. Fruit is something that, that grows on its own. But I can cultivate the soil in which the fruit is planted. I can... I can water the soil. 
I can try to open the curtains to let light shine on it. I can try to remove weeds that might crowd out its growth. I can do certain things that would create an environment where the fruit is most likely to grow. And so we need to be people who are thinking intentionally, what spiritual habits do I have right now to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? And we need to um, make that a priority, make those habits and rhythms a part of our ordinary lives. Another part here that we're reminded of is that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. If you look at verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this is another um, aspect of this gospel endeavor. It's like, a, it's like a dance. We're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit, and the Spirit is leading us out in this, in this dance. If you're dancing with somebody, you're following their lead. You're, you're kind of watching as they kind of take initiative, and you're trying to match that. And so there's this moment-by-moment -moment, uh, experience of, I am trying to do what the Spirit is leading me to do in this moment, and if I live in this way, it will become this beautiful dance. So we need to keep in step with the Spirit. That means it's, again, it's not this one-off decision. It's this moment-by-moment -moment reflection on what is the Spirit leading me to do right now. Finally, uh, an application of the Gospel in this uh, attempt at pursuing the fruit of the Spirit is, we need to crucify the sin nature. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This is an application of the gospel whereby as God by His Spirit identifies certain things within us, these passions and these desires that are contrary to the Spirit, we bring those realities to Calvary. And we allow for Christ to crucify those things. And we allow for Him to give us His righteousness and His goodness. And we do this over and over and over again. As these new expressions of the flesh are identified, we bring them to the cross and we crucify them there. And then we are raised up in new life to walk in obedience to the Spirit of God. And so, church family, I'm excited about going through the fruit of the Spirit together with you. I do think that this is going to be an important subject matter for us to consider and pursue together. And I hope that you are blessed by our, by our time as we um, seek to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Be blessed.